Please join me in the prayer for God to illumine our hearts and minds. Let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The first scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 32. Listen for God's word to us. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. While I kept silence, my body wasted away through all my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all who are faithful offer prayer to you. At a time of distress, the rush of mighty waters shall not reach them. You are a hiding place for me. You you preserve me from trouble. You surround me with glad cries of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you the ways you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding, whose temper must be curbed with bit and bridle, else it will not stay near you. Many are the torments of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading comes from the New Testament book of 1 John, first chapter beginning in verse 5. I encourage you to follow along as I read. First John. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Music is an important part of my family. I played the piano and the violin growing up, and now my oldest daughter, I'm proud to say, is learning to play the violin, and my twins are playing the piano. I have found that often the hardest part of playing music, though, is counting the rests. So if you are a musician, you may know what I'm talking about. When I listen to my children practice at home, I am frequently, frequently saying to them, count 
or hold, don't go past the rest. You can't rush through the parts in the music where you're supposed to stop or rest. And now to be fair to them, it is much easier for me to correct my kids than to do the right thing myself. Recently, I have picked up my violin once again, and um, after about 20 years, and I've had some opportunities to play in some small ensembles. And let me tell you that I have been humbled on more than one occasion when I got lost in the music, which is pretty embarrassing when you're playing in a small ensemble, because I didn't keep up with counting the rests. The pianist and composer Arthur Schnabel once said, The notes I handle no better than many pianists, but the pauses between the notes, ah, that is where the art resides. The pauses between the notes. Well, I think this is true of the spiritual life as well. We may not handle life any better than anyone else, but when we know how to pause and rest, that is when God can do his best artwork in us. The psalm that we heard this morning, Psalm 32, is written with some rests in it. Now you may not have noticed it as Cheryl wrote, uh, read it, but if you were to follow along in your scripture and if you want to open it up um, in the Pew Bible right now, you will notice that there are some rests between verse 4 and 5 and 5 and 6 and 7 and 8, you will find a word, maybe in italics, and that word is selah. Now, no one really knows what this word means in Hebrew. You can read a dozen commentaries and get a dozen different answers, but you find this word only used in the book of Psalms and once in the book of Habakkuk. Maybe it was a signal to the musicians because the Psalms were a prayer book but a song book. Maybe it was a, a signal for them to change the tempo or take a time out. Or maybe it was time for the offering or time for a solo. One scholar said that it was a signal for the congregation to fall flat on its face in light of what is being sung. Whatever the word selah means, the function of this word in the text is a rest. It is a place, an invitation for us to pause and reflect on what is being sung and what we have heard. In music, rests allow us the ability to add depth and additional emotions to music through the use of silence. And rests are actually what create rhythm. Playing jazz music in particular requires having good rhythm. Jerry Berganzi, a jazz saxophonist and music educator, believes that to play jazz, it is far more important to have the right rhythm than to play the right notes. He wrote, time and rhythm are king. Number one, all notes seem to sound good when they are played with good time. Even melodies that use wrong notes sound good when played with good time. As that famous song goes, it don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. Very good. So let's look at the Selah or the rest in Psalm 32. What are they pointing to? 
why are they causing us to slow down and consider the words of the psalmist? In Psalm 32, in verses 1 and 2, the psalmist begins by making a thesis statement. The psalmist says, happy are those who are forgiven. Forgiven. So the psalmist goes on to tell us what his experience of being forgiven felt like. Something in his life, and it's not named specifically in the Psalms, and this is what I love about the Psalms, that they're not specific because they are open for all of us to experience what the writer is talking about in our own personal lives. But something has caused physical distress for the psalmist. And he says the experience is like his body wasting away. His strength was sapped like that of being in the heat of summer. Now, you might have known what that has felt like these last couple of weeks in this high humidity and hot heat. If you spent even a minute outside without any air conditioning, you know what he's talking about, a feeling just sapped of energy and just feeling low. And the psalmist says that. He says, my strength is dried up as by the heat of summer. And the reason why his body is experiencing this zapping of energy, his strength being dried up, and his body wasting away was because he had kept silent about his sin. Verse 3, while I kept silence, my body wasted away. The psalm is honest about sin. I don't know if you have noticed, but our culture doesn't like to use the word sin. There are not many places where we like or can talk about sin. But we are good Presbyterians, and we have a a hearty theology of sin, don't we? Sin is real. Guilt is real. And the broken relationship with God is real. Psalm 32 assumes sin and assumes that every human being sins. It doesn't say if you sin. He is saying that is the human experience. And even though we might be good at denying our own sinfulness or deceiving others, and most importantly, ourselves, when we minimize or dismiss our sin, the reality is the experience of holding that in, of not being able to acknowledge true sinfulness, is that our bodies feel the weight of it. Guilt and shame can be destructive. We feel it in our bodies, as the psalmist describes. You may know what that's like to keep a secret or to have a secret sin or to not be able to really be able to acknowledge it. I know that my gut can often feel like it's torn up in knots or I can feel anxiety rising in my body, just even the blood rising up. I'm restless and can be in agony. Yesterday, my daughter had a, a, a string concert um, at VCU. She had taken a week-long um, orchestra camp. And I was, we were walking to the Singleton Center, uh, my other two children and I, and we had parked a few blocks away 
further than I had wanted, and we were trying to leave right after the performance. And so as we were walking, of course, we see this parking space right by the Singleton Center. So I told my two kids, sit right here, stand right here, and I'm just going to run back and pull my car around so we have this parking space, you know, this golden parking space in the fan. Well, as I'm driving around the block, I see out of the corner of my eye that there is a car that has pulled up, and there's a man talking to my kids. And so when I zip around the block, I come over, and this car is pulling into that parking space, and my kids are on the sidewalk just kind of walking away, and their, their faces are crestfallen. So I drive up, honk, and I roll down the window, and I yell out at the the man, that was my parking spot. My kids were sitting there waiting, and how dare you bully them into moving, and I'm just hot with anger. Got my proudest moment. And the man immediately shot back, and he said, we didn't even talk to your kids. They were just standing there, and we pulled in the spot, and he said, by the way, you are so rude, and he pulled out of the parking spot and, and, and drove off. And I, and I pulled in and I asked my kids, was that man bothering you? And he said, and they burst into tears. He said, no, it wasn't that man. It was somebody else who came right before him. And, they, and that person was chewing my kids out, and, which is why they were crying. And immediately I felt the guilt and the shame of my improper response in that moment. And I was not able to acknowledge it to that person. And I could have just tried to forget about it. But all day long, that churning in my stomach of knowing I had sinned and I didn't know what to do about it. So the psalmist is honest about sin. The psalmist wants us to pause, selah, take a rest, And consider what sin does to us when we keep silent about it, when we might deny it. 1 John 1 says, if we say we don't have sin, we deceive ourselves. But the psalmist encourages us to stop, take stock of our lives, and stop living in denial or deceit. The truth is, everyone sins. But then the psalmist goes on. And the psalmist reminds us there is something that we can do about our sin. There's something that we can do with it. Sin is real. It really blocks our relationship with God and others. But there is an incredible release when we articulate our sin. And that articulation is called confession. The psalmist goes on and says in verse 5, Then I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Do you see the contrast? Keeping quiet about the sin and what it does to us versus acknowledging and confessing that sin. There is power in confession Several years ago, I was asked to be part of a retreat called the Walk to Emmaus. This was back in Texas when I was working as a pastor there. And part of this spiritual retreat, it's a weekend retreat. Um, There are many talks along the way, and really the culmination of this retreat is um, a time where we're sitting around 
the cross in a chapel and giving an opportunity for the participants to respond to what Jesus has done for them on the cross. And um, as one of the pastoral um, people on this retreat, um, I also had the privilege and honor of walking alongside people. And if there were people who wanted to come and share and talk to a pastor, they could. And after this time in the chapel where people had, um, and it was a a women's retreat, these women had an opportunity to um, really wrestle with God and, and and receive the grace and love of Jesus in the cross. Um, there were women that wanted to come up and talk to me and speak with me. And one of the women um, came up with tears in her eyes. And she said, I've never been able to articulate this before. I've never told anyone this. But when I was younger, I had an abortion. And this is not a commentary on abortion. But she said, I have wrestled and dealt with this grief and this shame and guilt my entire life. And this is the first time I've been able to speak that out loud to someone. Do you think God forgives me? And my immediate response was, yes, 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 of course. Jesus forgives you and loves you. And the physical release that I saw in that moment, the freedom of a burden that she had been carrying in silence for so many years was completely taken away. And the next day, at the end of the retreat, there was an opportunity for the women to stand up and to share how that retreat had impacted their lives. And this woman was one of the first to stand up. And there was a noticeable physical difference in her. Her face was glowing. And she stood up and said, my life was changed this weekend because I met Christ and I understood God's forgiving power in my life. And she had this testimony to speak in front of um, all these women. There was not a dry eye in the house. Something happens when we acknowledge our sin. Jesus takes that sin away. The script in my household when my kids harm one another goes like this. They're, of course, bothering or irritating one another. And, of course, inevitably someone hits another person. And, of course, they're crying about it. And they are supposed to say, of course, I'm sorry. Now, my kids like to get away with just saying sorry very generically. But I have to say, what are you sorry for? Because they have to specifically name how they wronged the other person. And then the other person who has been wronged says back to his sister or brother, I forgive you. Recently, they have um, been liking to say when they have to go through the script, well, someone says, I'm sorry, I hit you. And (laughs) the other day, my daughter said, well, I don't forgive you. And the truth of the matter is, someone has to absorb the offense, right? It's not like you can just say, oh, I hurt you. That's okay. No big deal. No, there is real forgiveness that happens when there is an offense. And there's a real sense that sin is taken away. Scripture says that Jesus bore our sins on his body on the cross, And in his death and resurrection, we can be assured 
that our sins have been removed, and that God has forgiven us of all of our sins. I have added another script, part of my script, to this confession ritual in our household, something that I borrowed from a friend of mine. My friend has said that she has taught her children to share the good news of the gospel with one another. And so when one harms another, they say that they're sorry, and the other person says, I forgive you. And then tacked on to the end of that, they say, the good news of the gospel is, as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed his sins, your sins from you. And that is what my kids are now being trained to say. I forgive you, but the good news of the gospel is, as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed your sins. We are all going to play the wrong notes, my friends. But having this right rhythm of confession is more important than trying to get all the notes right. And finally, in our third Selah, in verse 6 and 7, after this acknowledgement of sin and guilt, after receiving fully the forgiveness of God, the psalmist recognizes that God is his hiding place. He says, therefore, let all who are faithful offer prayer to you. At a time of distress, the rush of mighty waters shall not reach them. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with glad cries of deliverance. Selah. To rest in that moment of assurance of forgiveness. To rest in the truth that God is our deliverer, our hiding place. Our place of when we are surrounded by trouble. A place that we can be safe. In the Eastern Orthodox Church, this psalm, Psalm 32, is sung over a baby after he or she has been baptized. Now, you might think that's kind of an odd psalm to be sung. But they are singing the truth that human sin will inevitably be a part of the child's lifelong experience. And yet the greater assurance is that God's forgiveness is swift and that they will experience God's grace through confession over and over and over again, every single time. Also, according to tradition, Augustine had Psalm 32 written on the wall by his bed before he died so that he could be reminded of his sins, and yet at the very same time claim the powerful comfort of God's forgiveness. One theologian said this, there's no music in a rest, but there is the making of music in it. In our whole life, melody, the music is broken off here and there by rests, and we foolishly think we have come to the end of the tune. Not without design does God write the music of our lives. Be it ours to learn the tune and not be dismayed at the rests. They are not to be slurred over, not to be omitted, not to destroy the melody, not to change the keynote. If we sadly say to ourselves, there is no music in a rest, let us not forget that there is the making of music in it. Friends, more important than getting all the notes right in our life is to get the rest. No one is perfect. We all sin. 
But do you take the time to rest, to confess, to acknowledge that sin before God? You won't have all the right notes, but do you have the right rhythm? Amen.